Support comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies. Held on select Fridays in May, each film touches upon artist Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, kicking off with Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro on May 10th at nortonsimon.org. Support for Alaist comes from Visual Communications, presenting VC Film Fest, celebrating 40 years of Asian and Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander filmmaking, with over 200 films May 1st through 10th. Info at festival.vcmedia.org. It's Film Week on L.A. at 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle. Wonderful to have you with us, along with critics Manuel Betancourt. He's contributing editor at Film Quarterly and Christy Lemire of RogerEbert.com and the co-host of the Breakfast All Day YouTube and podcast series. We begin with Dune Part 2, which is opening with sneak previews this coming Sunday evening at IMAX venues all over Southern California. Uh, Denis Villeneuve back as the director, of course. Part one was such a huge smash. Uh, Christy, share with us what you thought of part two. Oh, it's incredible. And to see it in IMAX would just be an incredible treat. So if you can get tickets, jump on that. The second you get done listening to Film Week, go jump on tickets because it's going to get pretty sold out. Um, It's just as much as the first, if not more so, an incredible visual spectacle. The score, the cinematography, the costume design. But now Paul Atreides is, you know, stepping into his role as the Messiah, if that is indeed what he is. Um, It's got greater emotional depth than the first. It is every bit as awesome visually as the first, but um, all that world building is done and they just jump right in. The new character additions to this one, including Austin Butler, who is terrifying as Fade Rotha. Um, Florence Pugh is very good in it, Christopher Walken, but um, it's just thrilling and harrowing. It's longer than the first, but it moves beautifully. Go get you some Dune too. <laughs> two hours, 46 minutes, by the way, the running town on Dune Part 2 and uh, much of the uh, uh, cast from the first one. Was there a pause, do you know, between the the two parts or did they try and film these consecutively? So um, I believe that they were filmed at the same time and it very much picks up exactly where the first Dune ends and there's no previously on Dune. So you really need to have seen the first Dune <laughs> okay. kind of recently to know because they, they throw you right in there in the desert with, with Paul and Shawnee. So uh, Timothy Chalamet becomes a man before your very eyes in Dune Part 2. And next week on Film Week, we'll also be hearing from our critics as the movie goes into wide release. We'll hear some more details about Dune Part 2. Drive Away Dolls is in wide release. Ethan Cohen, half the Cohen brothers of course, is the director and co-screenwriter with Trisha Cook. Margaret Qualley uh, stars a along with Geraldine Viswanathan and Beanie Feldstein. Christy, what do you think of the action comedy thriller Drive Away Dolls? Oh, this is a mixed bag. And it's a mixed bag of some very familiar stuff that we have seen. If you are a fan of the Coen brothers, as I very much am, they're my favorite filmmakers probably. This is Ethan Coen on his own, directing and co-writing with his wife, Trisha Cook, and is about these two lesbians who go on a road trip to Florida. They go down to Tallahassee, but there's a whole mix-up because they take the car that's actually meant for some other bumbling criminals, and there's stuff in the car that they don't know about. Um, It's got a lot of the bumbling, inept criminal stuff of 
Burn After Reading, for example, there's a pair of people after our main characters who are very much out of Fargo in that like they're bickering and they hate each other. There are these psychedelic mind trips of the Big Lebowski. And then there's all of that, like, you know, rhythmic, repetitious Coen Brothers writing, the thing that can be so thrilling about how certain phrases come back over and over again and have different meaning in different situations. Um, but we've seen so much of this done better before that it just feels like a like a sort of a watered-down greatest hits collection. Um, Margaret Qualley is kind of doing Austin Butler as Elvis here, right? <laughs> Speaking mm. of Austin Butler, there's like a, a big, muscular kind of swaggering showiness to the role. Um, and Beanie Philistine does not get to do very much at all. And then you have like Coleman Domingo underused, Pedro Pascal underused, Matt Damon underused, like tantalizing stuff with a great supporting cast, but never really comes together. And drive away dolls, Manuel. Yeah, this is truly bonkers because I think when you describe it as sort of this like road trip, lesbian comedy romp from one of the Coen brothers, you're like, yes, I'm all in. I want the market. Quali playing a butch lesbian who's like has this sort of southern drawl. I was like, yes, I'm totally Benny Feldstein, like as the um aggrieved ex-lover. There's like so many parts of it that I really wanted to love and I really gravitated to. But I think the difference, and I, I'm glad you brought up like Fargo and Burn After Reading, because there's a discipline to that comedy. And I think I think that's what was missing to me. This feels so unwieldy, almost intentionally, and it is very baggy and it's very messy and I just there's these interstitials that are like kind of 60s-esque and I just couldn't tell like it's it's set in the contemporary times but it has this sort of like weird psychedelic um interstitials and I just I didn't understand what a lot of what was happening um I will say they all seem to be doing they all seem to be having a great time um but yeah to me I just wanted I just wanted more discipline so that the comedy would land better rather than we found this joke and we're gonna use it and then we're gonna go somewhere else and we're gonna meet another bumbling idiot and they were all bumbling idiots and so but but if raunchy lesbian road trip comedy from one of the Coen brothers speaks to you I think I think you're gonna find a lot of things to love it does sound promising on paper at least, <laughs> yes. even yes. if it didn't uh, show it on the screen drive away dolls in wide release is rated R ordinary angels has a liver transplant at the center of the plot. Uh, Hilary Swank and Alan Richson star John Gunn is the director. Manuel. Um, I wrote on my notes, no thank you. And <laughs> that that probably uh, sounds very, very harsh, but I did not buy this uh, sort of kind of faith-based faith drama where we're following this alcoholic woman, um, Hilary Swank, who one day decides that she's not going to be an alcoholic and that she's going what she's going to do instead is raise money for this liver transplant for this young girl that she has never met. Uh, it's based on a true story, and I I gather what I felt was that because it was based on a true story, the script didn't feel the need to explain why any of these character motivations made any sense. Uh, so it's like, well, the real woman did this, so Hillary Swank is going to do that. But it never sort of fleshes out why she would be driven to this, why she would, why this of all places, why this, yeah, uh, this young girl, why this family would actually drive her to change her entire personality. It's very much like a spirit of the will and everyone, you know, it's a little bit maudlin. It's a little bit sentimental. Uh, Hilary Swank is doing all of the things. Um, I think she can be very captivating on screen and she's doing the best that she can, but this script truly is not doing her any favors. We're talking about Ordinary Angels. Christy. This is Hilary Swank's Aaron Brockovich role. <laughs> Isn't it? She even looks like her, yes. Right? Like the same kind of hair and like mini skirts that are too short and too tight for her for her age and just like like a, a little too flashy, a little too tacky, a little too brash, but well-meaning, right? Awesome. And like a bulldozer of a personality. 
I kind of bought that she would take the alcoholic instincts and put them someplace else, right? That happens a lot with people who are in recovery. Like you got to take that addictive instinct and like apply it to something else. So like maybe you're into running now or maybe you go to church all the time now or whatever it is. So for her, she's never really dealing with the stuff that makes her who she is. She's just putting it elsewhere, putting the energy elsewhere and putting it someplace else for good. I mean, the family is understandably a little bit like, huh? Like why <laughs> Where did are she you, come from? Why are you showing up in my life? Um, and a lot of this does seem kind of implausible and, as you say, maudlin, but it did really happen. There's a whole, mm. like, climactic thing involving a helicopter. And this is, like, before cell phones, mm. right? So, like, people are calling into a TV station to arrange a helicopter to get the transplant. And I was actually surprised at how little faith-based stuff hmm. there is here because in the very first scene they do mention like prayer and, and God. Um, this was written by Kelly Freeman Craig who wrote and directed Are You There God? It's Me Margaret hmm. which is excellent which is one of the best films of last year. So I feel like she maybe brings a recognizable humanity here and there to this that might not exist in other people's hands um, but this is ultimately very like faith affirming. So if you want that and maybe a better made version of a faith based film, this could serve as that. We're talking about Ordinary Angels starring Hilary Swank and Alan Richson. Joe Gunn directed. Kelly Freeman Craig wrote the screenplay. It's rated PG in wide release. The documentary The Ark of Oblivion is directed by Ian Cheney, uh, who also narrates the film. Christy? I love this movie and Manuel, I have to thank you for putting <laughs> it at the top of your list because I then made sure that I watched it. Yes. And I'm so glad I did because I love it so much and it works so beautifully on so many different levels. It's about this guy who is the filmmaker, Ian Cheney, and he is building a literal arc in his family's field in Maine, like an actual arc to put all of his stuff in. Because he realizes, like, I've got too much stuff. It's all building up. i got to put it somewhere. So in the very, like, intimate, literal sense, it's about storage. But he takes that as a launching pad for this like existential exploration of why we as humans feel the need to leave traces of ourselves behind, whether it is through, you know, passing on photos or filmmaking, literally filmmaking. Like, why must we record and keep things? Why do people collect weird things? Um, he goes into like tree rings and stalagmites and like an egg eco-toxicologist <laughs> who trolls the Arctic waters for like remnants of pharmaceuticals that are left behind. It is fascinating. If you've ever wanted to hear Werner Herzog recite Ozymandias, <laughs> now is your chance. It's brilliant. Um, and it, it's really playful given how like this is substantial stuff he's talking about. The form of it is really playful. There's a lot of stop motion animation. There's a lot of cool stuff he does with vintage television sets. Um, I really liked it a lot. Ian Cheney is the director and at the center of the Ark of Oblivion. Manuel, I'm not familiar with him. Has he done other documentaries? Yeah, and I, I'm so happy, Chris, that you enjoyed it because yeah. I, as soon as I watched it, I fell in love with this movie. I love, especially documentaries that are driven by curiosity. And so at the heart of this is this question, are we insane to believe that anything can last? Like, if we know that this Ark that I'm going to build is going to be gone in 100 years, why am I compelled to do it? If I know that my hard drive is going to erode in thousands of years, why do I try. And, and of course, it's a very human story. It's a very small story. And it's also a huge story. 
Um, there's a lot of conversations about what happens when you start thinking of geological time, which I think are can kind of be overwhelming, very erudite and intellectual. And he makes them so playful and so accessible. And he, you know, invites his friends and his fellow documentarians and Werner Herzog, who's a, an executive producer on the film. And I just love that I never knew exactly where it was going to go. And he took me to, you know, the fjords in the Arctic and salt mines in the Alps and ancient libraries in the Sahara. And it's just, I was just in awe at the fact that he was able to harness all of those great conversations into something that I could recommend to anyone to watch and that they would be going along for the ride. And his parents are a hoot. Yes. <laughs> his parents are in it and they're these super funny, quirky, no-nonsense people who were so supportive of him building a literal ark in their backyard. <laughs> we're talking about the documentary, The Ark of Oblivion. It's unrated and you can see it at Lemley's NoHo 7 in North Hollywood. About Dry Grasses, a Turkish drama. Uh, the film is directed by Nuri Bilj Salan. Manuel. I, so talk, we talked about Dune and it being like two hours and 46. About Dry Grasses is, if I'm remembering, like, like three hours plus. And it's, it's very patient storytelling, but I really enjoyed it. It sort of unravels at this like very slow pace. We're following uh, this art teacher in a remote village in Turkey who's a little bit, um, fed up with where he's at in life and his his job and um there's an incident with a student that may have gone that it may have become a little bit inappropriate and sort of starts unraveling his sense of whether he's being whether he'll be able to sort of get out of this town um but at the heart this is a story about you know what it how can we find our way to live with our lives and how can we escape them and is that a selfish pursuit i think this is a movie to me it was a movie about selfishness about you know um, he has a lot of left of friends who really want him to be more engaged and be more political. And he's like, I don't have time for that. And I don't really want to. And am I selfish for just wanting to lead my life? Uh, he's not a particularly likable character, but I think the movie does a great job of sort of trying to understand where he's coming from. And it's sort of it, it, it almost feels like a short story because like it does. It happens only during a winter. And then it eventually sort of um, balloons into these like larger conversations about politics and about the country and about um, sort of hope and hopelessness and cynicism. I just really loved it. We're talking about the Turkish film About Dry Grasses. Yeah, this would be a great double feature with The Teacher's Lounge. Mm. Because it's about people who are doing this job that is thankless and then there is an accusation that upends everything to their routine and you don't really know who to believe. Like we've watched it all, but we don't really know like what's true and what's not. And that's not important. What's true mm. and what's not is not the core thing here is like how does it affect this guy's life? How does it affect his worldview? He is a jerk. I mean, not <laughs> to the extent of like a Larry David type figure, but there is a sense with, with everything he does that it's transactional, that it's how does this affect me? I mean, especially given that he is in this job where he's supposed to be helping to shape the youth of, of Turkey here. Um, he can't even fake it no. that he has a calling you know <laughs> he thinks he deserves so much more um what the filmmaker does is he sits in these long takes and lets the patience play out and uh the rhythms play out about dry grasses is at lemley's royal theater in west los angeles it's unrated many more films to come on film week on la is 89.3 Support for LAS comes from Latino Theatre Company at the Los Angeles Theatre Center, presenting the world premiere of Mix Mix, The Filipino Adventures of a German-Jewish Boy by Boney B. Alvarez. Inspired by true events from the life of Ralph Price, 
after escaping Nazi Germany, a newfound tropical refuge in the Philippines is upended when Japan invades the islands. On stage through June 16th. Tickets and information at latinotheaterco.org. Support for LAist comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies, held on select Fridays in May. Each film touches upon Spanish artist Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, including Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro and The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie by Luis Buñuel. Screenings are at 4.30 p.m. on four consecutive Fridays starting May 10th. More information at nortonsimon.org. We're just over a week away from our 22nd Annual Film Week Academy Awards preview at the Orpheum Theater, downtown Los Angeles, beautiful historic venue. We're going to be joined by Chrissy and Manuel and nine other Film Week critics on stage. We'll see clips of all the Oscar-nominated films, and the critics will have at it, uh, responding to each other and what they have to say about the top uh, films that are, are uh, part of the nominations. Arrive early at the Orpheum on Sunday, March 3rd, and you can step into our new Film Week recording booth. This brand new. You want to give a shout-out to Manuel and tell him about a particular film that maybe he mentioned that you wouldn't have known about otherwise or tell Christy how much you appreciate her reviews, you can step right up to the Film Week recording booth right there in the lobby and we might use that on a future Film Week segment as well. So please make sure that you join us. Also we want to let you know that if you want to dress up in your Oscar finest you can do that too. We'll have a photo op in the lobby with a nice uh, Film Week background for you. You can do a step and repeat and have a friend take a photo of you all dressed up for the Oscar show. That's coming up Sunday of next weekend, March 3rd, 1 of the afternoon at uh, the Orpheum Theater, downtown Los Angeles, just a week before the Oscars. Get your tickets now. Several hundred have already sold. We want you to get a good seat. Do it right now at laus.com slash events. That's laus.com slash events. We hope to see you there next Sunday, March 3rd. Third. We're joined this week by our critics Christy Lemire and Manuel Betancourt. Next up is Io Capitano, which is an Italian drama. It's directed and co-written by Matteo Garone. Christy. This is one of your five nominees for Best International Feature at this year's Academy Awards. Speaking of our Oscar show, um, this is my least favorite of the five, actually, but very well made and well acted and ultimately very harrowing. It's about these two teenagers. They are cousins. They're living in Senegal and they get this dream, this crazy idea to travel to Italy to become pop stars. You, know, they, you see them writing songs. They'll hear a, a bit of dialogue. Someone will say something and they'll turn that into song lyrics. But they're not happy. They want more. They want fame. It's all very young and impulsive. So they get their money together and they, they figure out how to get hopefully smuggled into Libya and then eventually into Italy. And nothing goes as planned. And so we are with them every step of the way as they face different horrors, different awful, treacherous kinds of terrain. Um, the structure of it felt episodic to me for a long time like this happens and this happens and this happens I found the score a little intrusive needlessly so and kind of 
at a disconnect with the visuals quite frequently. There are these magical realism flights of fancy, sometimes literal flights of fancy that <laughs> felt very out of place to me. I guess it's you know trying to be reflective of what they're thinking as they're trying to survive mentally. But then the final section on the boat as they are crossing the Mediterranean is shocking and so tense and so claustrophobic. The director will use long takes to really immerse us in what's going on with these people. Um, but it definitely picks up. So stick with it. If you're thinking like, oh, this is okay, it gets so much better. And the finale, that last shot and the line of dialogue that gives the film its title is quite powerful. We're talking about the Oscar-nominated film Io Capitano starring Sedu Sar and Mustafa Fall Manuel. Yeah, I think harrowing is probably the word that I would come back to to sort of describe um, this film. And it can be quite punishing to the point where he Garone really wants you to feel the horrors and the obstacles that people like these two teenagers uh, will endure to leave a life that they wish to leave behind and in, in order to imagine a better version of the life for themselves which they can only imagine somewhere else um, it's very topical right like this is clearly depicting um, sort of migrant crisis in in Africa and Europe. But I think we could also think of it the same way, the, the kind of migrant crisis that, that's happening here in this continent. Uh, and I think it really puts us in the mind space of like, how far would you go? And how bad would your life need to be for you to uproot yourself and leave your mother and know that you may never see her again? And I agree with Chrissy, that those, that final sequence in the boat uh it's truly worth the watch we're talking about io capitano the film's unrated in select theaters the doc documentary uh Ennio is uh about the the great film composer uh, morricone uh the film is directed by giuseppe tornatore and well what do you think of Ennio? listen I love Ennio Morricone. Who and I think Exactly. <laughs> and I think if you say there's a documentary about Ennio Morricone, you're going to be like, well, regardless of it, I will, I will enjoy it. Uh, speaking of episodic, this is a documentary that sort of has him and he's, uh, he gave all these interviews back in 2020 uh, or right before he, he passed. And he has a lot of fascinating insights into his work and into um, how he did not just these like amazing scores that we all know, but hundreds and hundreds of others. He's the most probably the most one of the most prolific composers. But eventually, the the documentary sort of struggles and becomes. And then I did this score, and this is what I did. And then I did the other score, and this is what I did. And you know, I want him to tell me more about how he created the music in the Mission or the Good, Bad, and the Ugly, or how he works with Tarantino. But uh, sort of as a film, it felt a little bit more like a masterclass than a documentary. I wanted a little bit more rigor. I wanted a little bit more sort of shape so that it didn't feel like, well, I'm just listening to him tell me about his course, which is, again, fascinating. Um, but I don't know that uh, a novice or someone who doesn't know Morricone would find a lot of um, interesting things to say, although there's a lot of great people and a lot of great talking heads, but... We're talking about the documentary Ennio Christie. Yeah, he's very charming, isn't he? he yeah. He's a lovely, warm storyteller, and he gets choked up with the memory of things that happened many decades earlier. And it is an incredible who's who of voices here, from Clint Eastwood and Quentin Tarantino to fellow composers like Hans Zimmer and John Williams and like a wide variety of Italian um, producers and people that he worked with. A lot of really cool 60s Italian pop songs yes. in here. That part's kind of fun. Um, but I dug the process of this. If you like process, he goes into how he came up with different like contrapuntal song <laughs> melodies and like this shouldn't work with this, but it does. And like, where did the like 
Where'd the stuff come from that you know so well from all of his scores, like different sound effects? Um, so I enjoyed that, but it is ultimately so repetitious in the fawning over him. Like, clearly he's a legend, right? But we, the same thing, the beginning and the end is people over and over again saying the same thing over and over again. What's interesting is that one of his best known scores, the one for Cinema Paradiso, yeah. is one that they don't really go into very much, given that Giuseppe Tornatore directed this too. Right. Like, that's his film. Um, they go really far into the mission and they go really far into why didn't he keep winning Oscars like that's <laughs> that's that's part of it too that's like a running through line of like why is he not winning the Oscar he's clearly a legend um it is it could be like a two hour film I yeah. think but this is like 247 wow yeah. that's <laughs> on Ennio Morricone from Giuseppe Tornatore the director the documentary can be seen at Lemley's NoHo 7 in North Hollywood Veselka, The Rainbow on the Corner at the Center of the World is a documentary about a New York City Ukrainian restaurant. Veselka, Krisky. Veselka is legendary. If you've ever been to New York or lived in New York, you know it's on 2nd Avenue there, and it's a hub of culture and amazing food and just a warm and welcoming place in New York City. And it became increasingly significant once Russia invaded Ukraine and became a place where people wanted to show their support either by just, you know, having dinner or donating diapers or donating money or whatever. So it goes into the whole history of this place, how it's been around for decades. The same family has owned it for three generations. And, um, how it has evolved as a hub of Ukrainian culture and food and life in this part of New York City. Um, I didn't realize how much it had shrunk. It was like many, many tens of thousands of Ukrainian immigrants who lived in this part of the east side of Manhattan. And now it's only down to like 20-something thousand. It's much smaller. Um, David Duchovny is the narrator and does a whole lot of very schmaltzy hand-holding in explaining this place and these people Speaking of too long, this is like an hour and 45 minutes. This would have been a nice, tight, hour-long film. It goes off in all these these deviant directions. When it's the most compelling is when it's about the people who work at Veselka, who are Ukrainian themselves, who have family who are still there, who are trying to get out, and how this place is a crucial connection for so many Ukrainian immigrants. So there's the substance and the heart of it is worthwhile but there's a lot of like peripheral like very maudlin feel-good stuff happening here does it get into the food at all Be- yes okay good, good. <laughs> watch yeah. them make pierogies so all yeah right. i was gonna say it just makes me want to go to yeah, I, was I have so say. many great memories of you You've know late too? nights yeah i used to live in new york so like i, I love late a lot of late nights in Vaselka. And they talk about that, too, how people will go to, like, CBGB, yeah. go see a band, and then, like, drunkenly stumble over to Veselka. So. Well, I'm sure that wasn't Manuel. <laughs> no, 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 uh, never, never. The Rainbow on the Corner at the Center of the World, a documentary directed by Michael Fiore, and it's uh, unrated at Lemley's NoHo 7 in North Hollywood. Stop Motion uh, is uh, a film that uses stop motion animation, as you'd expect, directed by Robert Morgan, who co-wrote it with Robin King, Manuel. This is not a movie for the squeamish, and I am sometimes very squeamish. So we're following this animator who sort of starts losing her mind when she loses her mother, who is also this very famous stop motion um, animator. And the two of them were working on this kind of like dark fairy tale. And as soon as she loses her mother, and now she's able, now she's like, okay, now I'm gonna like finish this this movie by myself. Um, she starts having these visions, and she sorts uh, her animated. Um, figurines uh, start coming to life and start, start egging her on to 
uh, become more deranged and there's a lot of self-harm and uh, there's a young girl who keeps telling her the story that now she keeps to, she needs to tell but like you need to create this figurine out of red meat and so there's a lot of like blood and gore and self-harm and I, I can see Christy sort of grimacing and that's that was me throughout the entire film I was like oh my god and it's um I, I found that it was as an exercise in tension as an exercise in sort of the horrors and how do, how we deal with grief like it, it's very affecting it's not quite my my style I I wanted um I think I wanted a little bit more it's a little bit too small and it's very claustrophobic we're mostly in her like makeshift animated studio with these like really creepy figures that i just wanted to get out of but i think that also speaks to sort of the the strength of the of the filmmaking that uh i really just wanted to be somewhere else for this entire <laughs> for that entire film just as uh, and of course it has this like um very violent very uh this is not spoiler alert there's not a happy ending uh, in sight so live action and stop motion yes. animation combined in stop motion a horror film from the uk starring ashling franchosi robert morgan is the director it's rated r in select theaters and finally the documentary as we speak rap music on trial jm harper the director manuel so this is a fascinating documentary about something that I didn't really know that much about, which is the way that rap music and rap lyrics are continually being used by the justice system, both in the U.S. and the U.K., to prosecute rappers for um, even crimes that have nothing to do with their lyrics. So that there, a lot of places are using lyrics as character witnesses to be like, well, clearly they're singing about how they would, you know, kill someone else, and so obviously they robbed this uh, candy store. Like, and it's sort of ridiculous, um, but it speaks to, and you know, this is uh, bringing journalists, and we're following the rapper Kemba, who's sort of um, guiding us through this process, um, and they're. The, main thesis of the film is how this is yet another instance of how black art gets constantly criminalized uh, and how, you know, if we listen to a country song and they're talking about, you know, I killed my neighbor, you're like, yeah, I, I, I get it. Or if they're um, heavy metal, like we understand those lyrics to be fanciful feats of fancy. But somehow in rap, they get sort of really thought of as quite literal ways. We're talking about As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, directed by J.M. Harper. The documentary begins streaming on Paramount Plus Tuesday of next week. It's unrated. Our critics this week are Manuel Betancourt of Film Quarterly and Christy Lemire of RogerEbert.com and co-host of the Breakfast All Day YouTube and podcast series. They are two of our 11 critics who will be on stage coming up in just over a week, Sunday, March 3rd. We'll be at the Historic Orpheum Theater in downtown Los Angeles for our 22nd annual Film Week Academy Awards preview. We'll be screening clips from all 10 of the Oscar-nominated Best Picture nominees. We'll be talking about all the major categories of the Oscars. There'll be a chance for members of the audience to ask questions of our critics who are on stage, and we want to make sure that you are there in the beautiful venue Sunday afternoon, March 3rd, 1 o'clock, exactly a week before the Oscars are given out in Hollywood. You can get your tickets right now, and I encourage you to do so at the earliest opportunity because they're going fast. Go to LAist.com slash events to get your tickets. That's LAist.com slash events. We want to see you there Sunday of next weekend, March 3rd, 1 in the afternoon at the historic Orpheum Theater. Coming right up, we'll talk with the Oscar-nominated screenwriter of Poor Things, Tony McNamara, on Film Week. 
The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.